Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. First question for you, immediately, Ian. What do you think of vigilante justice? Mm, depends. I mean, depends who it's against and what type of vigilante justice are we are we talking about? Give me some context. I'm assuming uh, you've got an example. I do, I do. Um, a good friend of mine, shall we say, um, had recently had some issues with a phone company. So there's ongoing issues with uh, with said phone company. Bought a phone from them. Um, I mean, without going into too much detail and boring everyone wanting to tune in to listen to... Sounds like a really good start to a story. This. Yeah. He uh, had to return the phone after a month or two. It just wouldn't activate it. Couldn't get it sorted. Useless customer service. He informed me that before he said or sent the said phone back, he decided to rub the phone all over his dick and balls and put it back into the box. Um, I think at one point he'd said that he had rubbed the stylus of the phone on his Jap's eye, um, which, which is quite, quite <laughs> an interesting way to go about it. Could have been could end up painful that if you got that wrong. Um, but um, so your mate has returned a dick phone. So some poor unfortunate <laughs> soul is going to get a phone back that reeks of dick. Is what you're saying, telling me. But the, the funniest part about it is it's the consideration of right here we go. I've got my own back here. I'm going to send this back. Put it into the box. Send it off. They're not actually, so no one involved in this process that have wronged him are actually going to be anywhere near that phone. It's going to be sent back to some courier, um, you know, DPD driving up where thinking, hey, my van smells of cheese here, uh, gets to the, the sorting office, wherever it goes, and then it's going to be, I'm sure, redistributed to another poor and unfortunate soul who, you know, is going to get a phone call off the mum. Oh, I've got a brand new phone. What's that? What's that smell? I mean, it's... Uh... I'm giggling to myself about it because I think it's pretty funny, but it's uh, equally not exactly the most mature way to handle a situation, is it? Like, I know, <laughs> what am I going to do? I just rub this on my crutch. Like, I, I, I would have thought there would be more mature ways to handle the situation. I, I, I don't, as to your vigilante justice point, I don't know the context of quite how bad the customer service was to justify said dick and phone rubbing incident. but. Um, it's not quite Batman, is it? Uh, Dick Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. They've got like a, a massive To call it vigilante guy. justice probably <laughs> seems to go again before just like some immature in-betweener shit would probably be more uh, appropriate than vigilante justice. But um, I, mean, I mean, I suppose it's one way to handle poor customer service. I'm sure he feels uh, vindicated by his his actions um and and good luck to him and hopefully obviously that won't come back to haunt him uh in the the near future um, Do you know what phone it was by the way so like <laughs> any of our listeners out there expecting a particular uh brand of phone that could expect to go back smelling of dick cheese i believe the phone was a was it samsung it was one of the one newer ones with a stylus um i think it's a it's S23 Ultra, the ones with the stylus. Similar to my phone. It's, it's I, I mean, not, I've, I've got... It's not an iPhone, it doesn't matter. So to me... Yeah, so I, I've got a phone that's quite similar to it. Um, I've got a phone quite recently and it's got a stylus on. So all I can think of is 
have I bought the, the said dick phone? Um, I hope not. And it, it smells like it's fine. I really but... hope so. I think that would, that would be the ultimate vigilante justice is that you get his dick phone. I've been pranked by Dickman. Um, get on to UFC 295 then. Let's let's get off the talk of, of dick phones and let's get on to talk of quite an incredible set of fights, to be honest. Um, one of the ones, one of the fights, the main event, which we'll start with, didn't exactly go as planned for me. Um, you called it spot on, in all fairness. Um, Potan, Pereira beats Prohaska, uh second round. And second round. Yeah, it, he looked fantastic. And he's already on course to have one of the greatest UFC careers I think we've ever seen. I mean, those calf kicks are just so brutal, aren't they? Like, I think in the first, must have been four that I think I remember counting in the first couple of minutes. And you can see straight away Prohaska's completely and utterly compromised in terms of his movement. Like they just come from nowhere. He whips them out so quick that it's ridiculous. Um and you can see by the start of the second round, like the swelling on Prohaska's back of the calf just looks so sore. You can see he can barely move. You know, they're that they're that bad. Um first round, I mean he definitely got the better of uh of Prohaska in the first round. And uh, I thought um he, he, Prohaska did take him down and for a little bit looked like he caused him a few problems on the floor, but didn't really suffer much uh, damage uh, and managed to get up as well. But start the second round, bang, Poetang unleashes, catches him, puts him down. Um, I know there's been me and you kind of, uh, well, I called it, we both went the other way. I called it right um, straight away. I did say to you, I thought, and we both agree on this, that it was possibly an early stoppage. But I think for anyone that's minging about that, uh, Prohaska himself came out and actually said, didn't he? I was out. Wasn't an early stoppage. So I think when the fighter himself is actually saying, no, it wasn't early, you've got to take that into a serious consideration of whether or not it's it's an early finish or not. But I still think it was a bit early, if I'm honest. But he was dumb. No matter what anyone says, he he wasn't going to come back from that. It definitely was early, um, regardless of the condition he was in because he got straight back up essentially when the, the fight was called off. And that's why I think we're in agreement that it does look like an early stoppage. And I'll be honest, I, I can't see much contentious uh, argument about that, but you're absolutely spot on. He does the interview after the fight and, and says, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, we're absolutely out there. So if the fight is saying it, you can't really disagree with that. So maybe it's an early stoppage in the context of things, but a good stoppage in the context of looking after the fighter's health. And for someone to treat Prohaska in the way that uh, Pereira did in this fight and manhandle him, score a second round TKO, he's so impressive. He just continues in this rise that he's got in the UFC. I think we can chalk the Adesanya loss down to a bit of a freak result. And I, I don't think it happened again. And obviously, the most interesting part about this is shortly after the fight, he immediately calls out Adesanya, sat at home thinking, I've said to everyone that I'm going to take three or four years out. I wish this man would stop following me about and try to kick my head in. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a strange call out, really, wasn't it? It was like in like the after interviews, all in Brazilian and being translated. And then in that really weird way that he then says something, what did he um, come to daddy? Or something along those like something like that. Does he say it is it? Yeah, is it like 
Izzy, come to daddy. But he kind of talks, and again, whether it's lost through the translator, but he doesn't actually say Adesanya. He's like, there's some guy who said he's going to take three years off that I want to, and you kind of, he's a, everyone knows who he's talking about, but kind of a little, he doesn't actually say his name. And then as you say, s- switches to his terrible English at the end. And as you say, says something about come to daddy, but. Um, I'm just looking I mean, at it here, just on the side. So he goes, hey, Adesanya, come to daddy. And Joe Rogan goes, are you talking about Israel Adesanya? Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably Joe. Yeah, nice one, Rogan. Uh, you really <laughs> on the ball. It's pretty hard to hear anything for his thick accent, to be fair. He, has, he wasn't the easiest person to uh, understand. But, I mean, he becomes only the ninth fighter to win uh, titles in two divisions. Uh, and the craziest thing is he's done it in just seven UFC fights, which is a truly meteoric rise. I had to do a bit of Googling just to see if there was anyone that was even close to that. Uh, and the only two people that are close and from completely different eras is Randy Couture did it in 11 fights. So Couture won both heavyweight and light heavyweight and BJ Penn did it in 12. Uh, and that was, I think, uh, lightweight and welterweight. BJ Penn did it in. Um, but I mean, for, for me, given how everybody raves on about Adesanya, um, I've got a little snippet here from from MMA fighting because this kind of pretty much very succinctly describes, I would say, uh, better than I can, um, Pereira's um, accomplishments. So it reads, Pereira smashed the rules that are supposed to govern MMA into a million tr- uh, tiny pieces. He owns nearly as many MMA fights against UFC champions, five, as he does against non-champs, six, and that's including his time on the regional scene. That's absurd. And somehow he's still racking up wins in his rivalry with Adesanya. Just think about it. Everything Adesanya tried to accomplish uh, in the UFC, Pereira's actually done. Double champ, check. Jan uh, Blahovic, check. Brutally knocked out Sean Strickland, check. And yes, regardless of however many memes Adesanya posts, Pereira is still up three out of four in that series as well. He's also headlined two of the top three gates at Madison Square Garden and is the only MMA fighter with an undefeated 3-0 record at the world's most famous arena. Unbelievable. Um, the, the incredible, stats, I mean, it's, it is perfectly summed up. Um, is that MMA fighting, did you say? Uh, yes. So, yeah. yeah I, always, I, always put it very, very well, uh, MMA fighting. But, um, I mean, the meme, I think, that Adesanya posted was of... Um, Potan laid on the floor with was it Elsa's hair from Frozen, and he just put "Let It Go," which we were quite funny. I'll be honest, I, I did get a bit of a chuckle out of it, but it's very difficult, surely, for anyone to take it seriously that this guy who's already been beaten three out of the four times, and pretty much like I say, a bit of a freak result. If he ever did step up to uh, like heavyweight, he would get absolutely destroyed. Uh, I can't imagine any world whatsoever where Izzy steps up and wins that fight. And I feel like him putting these memes might make himself feel good about it, but no one's buying it. No one thinks that actually you've won this rivalry just because you won the last one. We all want to see it again. I think inevitably we probably will eventually. I don't think we'll see it soon, um, but I do feel like we'll probably have one more Pereira-Izzy fight in the UFC and it'll probably be a light heavyweight. 
Yeah, I just think is he's not the biggest of middleweights, and Pereira did a extreme weight cut, you could say, to get down there is absolutely huge. Um, I don't see him ever wanting to go back to middleweight, and obviously Adesanya's only gone up once to light heavyweight and got absolutely smashed by Blahovic, who, all right, it was a controversial victory um, from uh, Pereira um, against him uh, a few UFC ago, I think July, you'd said on the last podcast that was. But um, yeah, um, if it, I don't think it would go well at all for Adesanya at light heavyweight. I think the odds would be heavily stacked against him. Um, the only thing is, is obviously this is, uh, we have still got... Um, Jamal Hill set out uh, to come back and in the same way that Prohaska gave up the title and was given um, first pop at it when he was back from injury, Hill is exactly the same. So um, I know Hill had a pretty bad injury. It's just it's quite a while whether... out though, isn't it? Yeah, I feel like if he, if the, the next fight for Pereira can't be Hill because that is such a, I think in terms of his uh, recovery time, weren't we talking six, seven months away? Yeah, I think uh, apparently he's supposed to have been on track. I read that he'd gone to like the world's premier knee surgeon or something like that, who's done like loads of NFL running backs and people like that's uh, injuries before. And he was ahead of schedule in the same way that Prohaska was. Uh, and I saw him speaking this week uh, in, a few, in, a, in an interview. Uh, and he's, he actually said, I beat him on the feet, which is a bold thing to try Good and luck. do against uh, Pereira. Um, but I mean, he's equally big. He's a fucking big lad, Hill, to be honest with you. He he could probably easily be a uh, heavyweight if he wanted to be. So he probably has to cut a fair amount of weight to get to 205. So um, yeah, I can't wait for that one. A very intriguing fight when that's made. But you're right. It depends. That's on his injury healing timeline, whether maybe Pereira gets a, another fight in there uh, first. Is there anyone that you think, let's say Hill's recovery time is quite an extended period of time. Is there anyone that immediately pops to mind that you think, yeah, I'd like to see him defend it against whoever it might be in the division? Uh, well, weirdly, I did see what was announced today was Ankalev. I think for one of the cards in January is going to be headlined by Ankalev, who's ranked number three, uh, Johnny Walker. Um, so that, uh, given that Pereira's champ, Hill's ranked number one. So we're just talking about that then. After that, you've got number two is Prohaska, who he's just beat. Then number three is Ankalev, who has got another fight scheduled. Number four is Bohovic, who Pereira's already beat. So that leaves the next ranked fighter that, um, without a fight, I think, uh, scheduled, is uh, Alessandra Rakic. And I don't think anyone will be clamouring for that fight, to be honest with you. So it's an interesting um, division is, is light heavyweight because quite a number of other divisions in the UFC are, are pretty much stacked. Um, but obviously you look at, um, you know, lightweight, for example, Oliveira, Gage, Poirier, uh, Islam, and welterweight is, is seemingly getting to that stage as well. Potentially middleweight light heavyweight seems to be, I mean, Pereira obviously is a champion now um, come out of nowhere in terms of jumping up a little bit. Uh, Jamal Hill shocked us and made us eat his words when he obviously took on um, or Teixeira, I think it Love was. Teixeira, yeah. Yeah, um, so he's he's obviously up there. Prohaska, I've always rated, and that's what makes Pereira's victory so outstanding. Ankalev, yes. 
But like you say, Blahovic, Rakic, Krylov, Johnny Walker, Anthony Smith, they're not really standout names that you think. It's definitely yeah, not a stacked division. No, no. And no. again, you can understand why Pereira maybe made that move up, that it is a little bit sparse at the moment in some ways. Um, you know, obviously it's quite sweet for Pereira to beat Brahaska in terms of his coach is Glover Teixeira. He's coached by Glover Teixeira, so kind of avenged his coach's um, loss against uh, Prohaska. And you would imagine he will be wanting to do the same thing um, against Hill, so he's got enough motivation when Hill comes back. But yeah, there's there's no other real fights that I would say particularly. I'm hankering for appetite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think to be honest with you, if you're a Pereira, uh, take some time out, wait for Hill uh, to see as if it, how long he comes back, and then fight him. Um, I mean, unless unless they wanted to run it back against Prohaska, but it was pretty comprehensive in that it definitely isn't what isn't what it wasn't like it was a contested decision i mean to be fair he was far closer against Blahovic. so you could if you if you're going to make an argument for anyone you'd probably be if you were Blahovic saying well i think it was pretty controversial Pereira beat me i'm the next in the rankings that's not got a fight lined up give give me that fight so um he might be the one maybe if hill's timeline is extended Let's get on to the bit that I'm most excited of this entire episode to talk about. Our boy, Tommy Aspinall, um, in unbelievable fashion, destroys Pavlovich. First round, and I've got to be smug here, I called it, called it spot on. First round, comes out. First time ever. <laughs> There's a first time for everything. Um, it comes out and takes a couple of big punches to the jaw, and then all of a sudden connects one big shot. He's... <laughs> He's gone. He literally wobbles in with the first shot that he lands that's of any note. It was, yeah, outstanding. It was a bit of a worry to start with, to be honest, because to say he did take a big punch. It shows he's obviously got a chin. I mean, he's he's fucking huge, um, Aspinall, and how he moves um, in terms of speed-wise is incredible. But he took that big shot early on, which makes you think to yourself, he took that, wobbled a little bit, and you think, right, that could be a, a bit of a concern. But before you know it, caught him pretty much on the temple, which is always one of those weird sort of punches on the temple. It doesn't even have to be that hard. It's just one of those sort of positions that if you get caught a bit like the chin, it just switches your lights out and he was wobbled. Bang, caught him again, followed him down with hammer fists and it, and it's done. And for the first time ever, England now has two champs um, in himself, obviously, and, and Leon, I know it's in the interim, but uh, him and Leon Edwards, and England's only ever had three champs ever, um, which is Bisping the other uh, at middleweight. So um, a fantastic time for English MMA. And the most freakish thing which came out after the fight was that Aspinall was having back problems. So he took it on two weeks notice and he couldn't even properly train for the 10 days before the fight. So to do do that to what he did now, admittedly, Pavlovich was taking it on equally short notice. So whether you run that back when they both have a full training camp and whether Pavlovich might be a bit different, but to do what he did in that fashion to who he did it to when he couldn't even train for 10 days before, fucking incredible. I love this idea that Aspinall is obviously that he was on the verge of pulling out due to that back injury as well. I think it was that severe that he was unsure as to whether he would actually be able to continue. So it shows the the motivation and 
the, the clamour of this man to become the heavyweight champion. And that's always what you want to see in a, a, a true champion. But I love the idea of him sitting back like a couple of days before the fight and be like, oh, cat, my back's absolutely killing. And then just getting up on the morning of the fight, standing up, aching back, walking forward and just sparking out the boogeyman of the UFC heavyweight division. Um, the biggest problem we've got coming out of this and again, this is something that me and you have discussed and something that we agree with. And I think we've mentioned it on other episodes. We want to see Tom Jones Aspinall. And I would be desperate to see that fight, but it's not going to happen. It's it's almost certainly not going to happen. Uh, John Jones is too smart for that. He, I think even if Pavlovich had won, it's exactly the same. It's not necessarily that he's scared of Aspinall or scared of Pavlovich. I think that he's just very calculated in coming out of a long layoff, obviously moving up to heavyweight, beating um, Stipe, and then um, he's got, obviously, a fight. Um, it's not Stipe, sorry. He's, he's, who did he beat first? Garnet. Garnet, sorry, yeah. Um, Stipe and, and Garnet, obviously, the two big ones. Um, beat Garnet. Obviously, it was a mismatch. It was very uh, stylistic matchup for John Jones. And then, obviously, he, he's going to beat... Um, Miovich next year, next year, almost certainly, and they're probably both going to retire alongside each other. So we're never going to see the Aspinall Jones fight. I think Aspinall actually openly wanted that. I think he said at the end after the interviews that he wants that legacy fight. And you know what? I'm going to stick with what I said last week. Aspinall beats John Jones as John Jones is now. Aspinall beats him. I mean, two points stuck out over it for me, which was. Um... They showed Miocic walking out uh, into the crowd, didn't they? And Jesus Christ, did he look like an old man? You know, like if anyone had back injuries, you'd think it was Miocic. He looked like a literally walked out like an elderly citizen. That, uh, that, and you think to yourself, that's why John Jones is so eager to fight him um, and would run over him. But the weird thing that I found from Dana, which is, as you say, does make you think that John Jones doesn't want anything to do with Aspinall, uh, maybe or Pavlovich probably, is that Dana has still said that fight will continue. And I've never heard ever in the UFC have the champ fight someone in the next fight who's not the interim. So I don't think I, I, I'm sticking my neck on the line here. I might be wrong, but I don't know if that's ever happened before. So you would always have now the J- Jones fight Aspinall and basically Stipe's, you know, tough luck, you've been bumped because Aspinall holds the interim title to, to put them two together. So um, it makes no sense to me in terms of why the UFC would still continue with that fight, apart from caving to John Jones, who's obviously probably the biggest star uh, in the UFC bar McGregor. Um, but it also, as you say, I think is indicative that um, Jones doesn't want a piece of Aspinall. I've got to say as well, just because new listeners might be listening to this and thinking, why do they keep calling him uh, Steeper? It's a, as an ongoing joke. It's one of these pronunciation things. We know it's Stipe, but Steeper is funnier. It's, it looks more realistic anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it's... It's just unfortunate, and I think the way that this has been dealt with, it's to protect John Jones. He is the the UFC's, I don't want to say love child, that sounds really weird, but let's say if the UFC had a dick phone, it would be John Jones. <laughs> they would look after that as much as they possibly could do, and other than Conor McGregor, I don't think there's a more protected fighter in terms of 
trying to ensure that that cash cow is always there. If John Jones goes up against Aspinall, he loses for me. And I, I really don't have any doubt in my mind about that whatsoever. The performance he puts on against the, you know, quote unquote, scariest man in the heavyweight division at the moment, he just outclasses him. It's not a matter of, well, it's ended really quickly, so we can't really tell if he's any good. It ends quickly because he is a step above and he is a complete and utter class above every other fighter in there. And if Jones does retire, which we're expecting him to do so, um, Stipe obviously will retire alongside him. This is going to be one of those situations where this interim title is going to be bumped up to become the, the actual title and he's going to go on to defend that for, for a number of years and he's going to go on to absolutely rule over the division. And that's a shame because we have obviously missed out on Nganu and Jones and we desperately want to see that. Uh, Nganu has actually come out this week and said the UFC holds a huge blame for that because apparently John Jones and him both wanted it desperately. I don't necessarily believe that. Um, we're not going to see Nganu versus Aspinall because Nganu is going to go and do different things. Obviously, he's no longer part of the UFC. Can't imagine that he's ever going to come back and we're going to miss out on Aspinall versus uh, Jones as well. So, unfortunate time for us, especially in the heavyweight division, but also we can't complain because we've got what I think will be one of the most dominant heavyweight fighters in the UFC's history. I definitely think there'll be a rematch as well further down the line. I can't, again, you know, you take the, the Jones out of the equation and there's not really anybody else that, you would spring to mind in terms of maybe fighting. And I, I definitely think that things could have been different with a full training camp. You know, pa- Pavlovich is ridiculously powerful and, and showed that early on. And I think it would be, I don't disagree with you that I think the class told from Aspinall, but equally if there was a rematch with a full training camp for both on both sides, it could be a very different fight. But um, I'd be interested to see how long further down the line that rematch is um and as you say some of that depends on whether jones wants to be you know are you really the fucking baddest man on the planet um as everyone thinks he is uh and as you say right fuck it i'm not going to take on that old man stipe who uh can't even walk down the arena ring uh bump me up and take on uh aspinall i mean i i still think as well inevitably we'll see aspinall taking on um, Curtis Blades later down the line. Obviously, that loss technically is still on his card in a similar way that um, you see O'Malley at the moment is obviously getting to take on Cheeto and avenging that loss. That's not necessarily what's best for the division, but it's what's best for the fighter. And I think because Aspinall will have a number of fights, realistically, as you say, who else has he got? You've got Curtis Blades, who I think is currently rated fifth or ranked fifth. Um, Garn potentially. Um, Stipe obviously is going to go. John Jones is going to go. And then there's the Pavlovich rematch as well there. You know, everyone else who is, who is else is there. Uh, Derek Lewis, Volkov, who's already beaten. Um, my worry, and I think we'll inevitably see this because, again, I think we'll run out of fighters, is Almeida. And I don't know how that matchup works against Tom Aspinall. I think Tom Aspinall is the best heavyweight, but Almeida might bore him to death. So it's always a bit of a worry. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's got that smothering top game that he showed against Derek Lewis, but Aspinall is uh, a black belt himself. So you'd think that he would have some chance of keeping him off. And with that power and particularly the kicks that he's got on the standing game, 
he's probably got enough to maybe knock Almeida out. But yeah, he's another one that I would see down the road for Pavlovic, uh, for, for Aston Villa at some point, if it's not Pavlovic, uh, Almeida, you know, probably gets one more fight, I would have thought. And if he wins against another top contender, um, he's probably certainly in the picture. Yeah, um, and we've got to talk about, uh, and again, I always like to butcher these, Benoit Saint-Denis. Saint-Denis, I think is how you say it, if you're going for the French pronunciation. Obviously, I was wrecking you with my French in the office today. Uh, Give me some, some examples of the French that you spoke. Bonjour, au revoir, <laughs> oui. <laughs> no. It's about Pepe Le Pew. Um, that's about the extent of my, um, but I said to you, didn't I, I called it, he, he's, uh, really impressed me at the last, uh, he was, uh, co-main event on the, uh, Paris event that Garn fought on, um, and came out and just blew, uh, pretty much an unknown guy away, but I was really impressed. He used to be in the French Foreign Legion, remember uh, them saying, which, you know, is obviously no joke in terms of special forces, um, and first round KO, KO over, he was unranked and he knocked out the 14th ranked Matt uh, Frivola. So um, got to be top 10 fighter next for him. He, he looks to be on the on the fast track, but father time is not on his side because I get the, I'm sure I remember seeing it on, on the Paris card that he was like 34, 35. So he's obviously making this sort of late run in his career. But again, when you get a first round KO, you know, keep that momentum going. He's not taking any damage. Maybe roll through another train straight into a training camp. Get him, give him a, you know, top ranked, uh, you know, sort of maybe somewhere between five and ten. See how he gets on against them. Uh, do you know what his nickname is? Uh, no. God of War. Nice. I, re- it's, I mean, it just reminds me of Kratos from the old God of War games. And anyone that calls himself the God of War has to be able to absolutely smash through people. But yeah, his... Um, not uprising. What's the word that I'm thinking of? His ascent seems to be coming quick and fast. Um, he did have yeah. a, an interview recently with... Um, it was on MMA Fighting... Uh, MMA Hour, sorry, with um, Helwani and do you know who he said he wanted to fight of all the people in the UFC? Uh, Justin Gagey. Justin Gagey, yeah. I mean, that would be, I mean, that's just got chaos written all over it, hasn't it? Like, <laughs> as again, as if someone said to me, who could he fight and would someone's getting knocked out, then yeah, I, I, I'd be all in on that. But I don't think, I think that again, sometimes you need to fucking slow your roll a little bit. And it's like, you know, he smashed through a couple of chumps, you know. You're talking about the bad motherfucker there. Um, you know, that's a big step up, but I certainly wouldn't be against seeing it. In fact, I would very much uh, love to see that fight because he su- super impressed me in the last uh, few fights. Um, I know you were uh, bitched out and didn't get up to watch these ones. I uh, got up early because I thought I'm not missing out on it. Um, just before we move on, one final point I wanted to say about Aspinall. I thought uh, incredibly honest and decent uh, interview after the fight, uh, said he's never been so scared. You know, nice to see someone actually admit, fuck me, I was actually really scared of fighting this guy. Um, he came out um, and sort of said, if it's, if anyone out there is watching this and, you know, gets a chance to do something that they're scared of doing, take that chance, which is 
pretty good life advice to, to live your life by and also said um nice little touch at the end to two nice touches uh he thanked his old man because i remember in the build-up and saying his old man had been at every single training session he'd ever had watched by his dad so he went over and dedicated the belt to his dad and put the dad the his belt round uh, over his dad's shoulder which was a real nice touch and then obviously the day after it was armistice day for the end of uh the world war and went out and sort of said thanks to uh all the veterans and everybody that risked their life for our freedoms now so i thought classy interview and uh very honest as well and the internet being the way that the internet is, I think he got a load of slack for the, the second part, didn't he? Didn't someone say something along the lines of, have I just heard Aspinall thanking his ancestors? Ben Aspin, fucking prick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Ben Aspin saying, did I just see Aspinall thank our ancestors for him being here? And it's like, are you that fucking stupid? Did whoever And the answer was, is yes. Did Jake Paul knock you out that hard that you don't even have a clue that the following day is to celebrate uh, or to commiserate and celebrate the fact that we won the war and the people that risked their livelihood and their lives to see that happen. But yeah, what a dick. Yeah. Um, and that's Ben Askren all over, isn't it, really? Got to start with Stamford Bridge. I, I mean, I'd, I'll be honest, I didn't see this coming at all. I thought that this would have been a complete and utter route by City. Uh, obviously, it started with the City goal, but an eight goal thriller, just completely out of nowhere. The Premier League. Proper Barclays Premier League once again. It's igniting itself just before we get to Christmas. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest because it was the it was uh, second match on the Sunday, wasn't it? So I'd watched the pool match, uh, cruise to Brentford, uh, beat Brentford, and we'll come on to that in a sec. But um, I didn't watch this, but I was sort of keeping an eye on it. I couldn't convince the misses to watch two matches in a row uh, when Went. Liverpool weren't involved. Um, and I think I looked and it was 1-0 City. I think I then looked and it was 3-1 City, and I thought, yeah, that's kind of standard, and then um, looked at the final score and it was 4-0, um, and the former City boy who I can't believe, or still couldn't believe quite at this point, that Chelsea paid £45 million for that Palmer, all of a sudden seems to be quite a decent player. I think he's got four goals already this season, I think three of them may be penalties, so you know it's debatable. But it seems to be getting in their starting lineup above far more um, seasoned and reputable players in that position, and seems to be doing quite well. So um, actually, looks like maybe quite a shrewd bit of business from Chelsea. That yeah, I think it's too early. Like you say, I think a number of them have been penalties. He, I mean, it's written in the stars that he was going to do something in this game because that's usually how football transpires. Um, I'll be honest, I don't think he did much throughout the entire game. He was just sort of there. I think he had a really good chance just before that and made a bit of a hash of it. But obviously, at the end of the day, he scores the penalty that gets them the the, the point. And I would say, despite how poor Chelsea have been this season to a certain extent, they absolutely did deserve a point here. That they, they, It wasn't one of these where they fluked it or City had had an off game. Chelsea looked good and... I think if anyone had been a winner in this game, it wouldn't have been fair on the other. And I think a point and a draw each was absolutely spot on in the context of things. Um, are Chelsea about to be good with Uncuckoo coming back? And, and they seem to be improving, don't they? They definitely seem to be improving. Uh, each game goes on. Maybe the, the Poch influence starts to sort of kick in. Um, 
you know, and that they, they, they've had, they seem to have their off game still. You know, Brentford, I think it was, did them only the week before, didn't they? And all right, one of the goals was in the last minute, uh, you know, because of the Sanchez error for going up. But um, yeah, they definitely look an improving force. But I did look, they are already something like 12 points off the lead. So it's going to be difficult for them to make that up and even possibly take a run at the top four. But I think they will improve. And I think the fact that the league is a lot closer this year. So we've got, you know, obviously City dropping points, which was good for Liverpool, particularly they won. Uh, Chelsea, uh, sorry, uh, Arsenal uh, won, but um, Spurs dropped points, didn't they? Rather... A uh, bit of a surprise result. So it is quite, it does seem quite an open um, league this year. And I think a lot of it will come down to those sort of top six matches, the te- how well the teams do against each other. So if you're, you know, Liverpool and Liverpool can beat City or Liverpool can beat Arsenal, that could be quite telling come towards the end of the season. And I think it's actually Liverpool City after the international break. So that is a very big match given that's the top two at the moment. It is indeed. I think it is the first Premier League match back. I think it's the Saturday 12.30 kickoffs on the Of course it is, because Liverpool get every single fucking early kickoff after the international break. Uh, more than you're not, double you're not morning, anyone else. Are you? Are you not, not morning, are you? That, that wouldn't be like you, mate. Um, but well, it's, it's a good time. It's, it's a nice time to be a Liverpool fan again. It's like back back to back to the old um, gung-ho ways of, of Klopp. We've got um, before, goals just galore before coming in. You inevitably gush over Liverpool. I just wanted to point out one thing that you did say about this league and to further exemplify the lunacy of this league. We discussed it this week, but who's the most informed team in the Premier League at this moment in time? Uh, it was Man U. Man United. So Which... all the slack that they've been getting, obviously they're sitting sixth, they're still uh, five points off of fourth, but... The way that it's working, Spurs slipping up, Arsenal not necessarily hitting a stride of form yet. Liverpool, obviously City, are in a similar vein of form. Chelsea looking like they're coming back into it. But above everything and all the criticism that Ten Hag's getting, <laughs> the most informed team. So I mean, it, it's a crazy Luton and some, some of the others, you know, <laughs> well, they did more than, than Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool would be, if they'd beaten Luton, which they absolutely, if you're going to try and mount a title challenge, you've got to do would be sat uh, clear at the top of the league. That's the only thing that stops Liverpool being top at the moment is the fact they drop points against Luton. But um, yeah, absolutely great. I couldn't even believe... I, I was like, how is that possibly the case that, man, you are the most, as you say, informed team over the last five games? But um, that they don't seem to be playing that way or getting the results that way. But um, yeah, it's sadly true. But um, yeah, Liverpool, back to, back to Liverpool, um, cruised to a 3-0 win over Brentford. Uh, last season, they did us. So that was uh, encouraging. Um, they had their moments early on and there was a, a game-changing save again from Alisson. Seemed to be saying it every week that uh, Imbrumo was uh, clean through and easily could have, you know, again, I think the amount of times that we've gone 1-0 down this season is ridiculous and we have taken the most points from losing positions. But Van Dijk looks back to his impervious best, looks absolutely superb again. Terrific defending uh, all game. A uh, uh, couple of goals from Mo and um, uh, a sweet goal from Jota as well. So everything looking pretty good uh, for the pool 
uh, at the moment. Um, and one other crazy stat I'll just throw at you because I, I didn't see this one and I wasn't made aware of it until after the match. But uh, Nunes in his sort of season and a third season and a half, whatever it would be now, technically, uh, for, for Liverpool, has got nine assists. All nine are for Mo. Every single one he's got is for, for Salah. So there's a nice little partnership forming between those two. And um, he, he didn't have the greatest of games, uh, Nunes again, but um, very, very nice uh, assist for Mo for, for Mo's second goal, I think it was. So I would um, love to see the full extent of said assists because I get the feeling that those assists won't be anywhere near as good as some of the other assists. I appreciate he's got more, but it is probably easy to get assists when you've got someone as good as Mo Salah on your team because all you have to do is pass the ball two yards and Salah will tech on about 17 people and put it in top corner. Yeah, I mean, in this game, obviously, it was a lovely little touch and he just got it to to Mo and Mo put it through. He'd, He'd already had two goals disallowed. Both were offside, there's no doubt. I think be, I couldn't argue for either Nunes' goal being onside. But um, yeah, just a nice partnership. And as I said, I know he gets stick, particularly from you. But um, I think he's he's having a, a considerably better season this season than he did last season, uh, Nunes. And Mo is the only person who's remotely up there challenging um, Haaland for, for, for goals in terms of not only goals, but goal contributions because he's got two more assists than uh, Haaland as well. So if you add, I think, contributions, he's only something like one or two off Haaland, uh, who obviously has... I think he had the stats. same, didn't he, until the uh, Chelsea City game. And then obviously he puts a, a one away. Two and goals and gets, one assist. Yeah, yeah and gets one later puts a bit line. of distance between them. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you saw today, um, he scored four for Egypt. Uh, in a, against a who? Route. T- tell, tell me the team that they played. See if you can I pronounce it. T- I can't even tell you who it was. I just read that he scored four goals, uh, so I don't even know who it was. Um, but again, he. I'll, I'll try and pronounce it for you. I think it was Djibouti, which <laughs> <laughs> seems. I don't even believe that's a country, is it? Like, that's <laughs> the, the flag I've never seen before. In fact, I'm going to look up while you just have a quick chat to yourself. I'm going to have a look where Djibouti. Booty is because I have. Well, it must never... be in Africa, mustn't it? I suppose because e- Egypt are in the African qualifying zone, so it must be part East of Africa. Africa. Yeah, East um, Africa. They are Djibouti. The... I, I get the feeling that's not being pronounced right either. Like that. It is. <laughs> I'm telling you, they're, they're next to uh, the Gulf of Tadjura. Uh, let's just zoom out. Just making up names here. That's not. I, I, I wouldn't say my <laughs> no. geography is amazing, but I've never heard of those two countries in my whole life. No, that's the that's the the sea or the river. Uh, the river seems to be Gulf of Aden, and it's just next to the Red Sea. Um, they're just across from Yemen. So, but uh, I think that made it sixteen goals for club and country in twenty-one games this season. So, uh, and that's excluding his assist. I think he's got four or five, four assists certainly for Liverpool. Don't know about assists for Egypt, but um, fifteen goals I think in their qualifying. Uh, and I mean, again, when you're up against such high caliber teams as Djibouti, then as you, Djibouti. you can't understand why he's scoring so many goals. Uh, but, um... It says here, Djibouti, which is on the Horn of Africa, is a mostly French and Arabic speaking country of dry shrublands, volcanic formations and Gulf of Aden beaches. It's home to one of the saltiest bodies of water in the world. 
So there you go. It's uh, it's very well known. Screams fant- a fantastic breeding ground for excellent footballers then. Grassland and Salty Sea. Djibouti versus San Marino. That's the battle of the two best teams in the world that we need to see. And you know what? I think San Marino would beat them. Probably. Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a, a sad thing. Um, I mean, going a bit off topic here, because I'd seen this, uh, how believable it is, I don't know. But I think we, we hadn't necessarily called this, but we'd alluded to a similar situation, uh, which is apparently UEFA are considering inviting Saudi club Al Nasser into the 24-25 edition of the Champions League as it is considered, and I put in quotes here on this, one of the three most popular clubs in the world. It's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, tell me where you got this actual article from that you read it, because I, I need to shatter this. So this I, is if you on tell me Daily trans- Star. Transfer News Live on Twitter, I believe is the actual link. Um uh, but uh, I mean, it, I told you though, that is the oil money. They would pay UEFA. UEFA, we know, are crooked as fuck and would actually take that. And it, I think what we were alluding to is something like how long before we maybe see Premier League round over in Saudi. I wouldn't be surprised at something like this whatsoever. What I would love to know is how on earth they are considered to be one of the three most pop- popular clubs in the world on anyone's radar. They're not even in the top 30 most popular clubs in the world, let alone the top three, most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Well, I've found the source of this. This appears to be someone calling himself a Saudi journalist, and the name is Al Harbi Forty Four, and it just—it's uh, just a—it's a lot of shit, essentially, to sum it up in the nicest possible way. It's some weirdo who is one of these fake journalists who has decided that. Uh, I mean. I could call myself Wiz Khalifa and people would believe it on Twitter these days and they'd think that it were real. It, there's absolutely no chance that UEFA are going to allow this. Even as crooked as they are, there is no chance that there is a, a Saudi Pro League playing in the Champions League in the next five years, at the very least. See, I would disagree. I, I, I could, As much as the source may, may well be very questionable, it would not... They're just chucking money. If, they, if, they, if they, they're in UEFA... We'll give you a billion pounds just to put them in, give them a, a wild card and see how they get on. Um, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Money talks. We know this. And as ridiculous as uh, as you say, maybe the source is not the most reliable uh, of uh, sources itself. Something like that would not surprise me in the least. Mr. Ewell. Sadly. And it kills yeah. me to say that. I think that's, it's, it's a really sad state of affairs that that's even be, we're even given any credit or kudos to this nonsense whatsoever but i think that who's, who's money president who's was the president of uf at the moment is it like is it seferin still he's been it's like september yeah it will be in september 2016 he's been president of uf i'm just having a look here um used to be a a slovenian lawyer but imagine that just like, uh, seferin um do, do us a favor big bill alexander um did you know that the 1995 afc champions league runners up are uh, actually one of the three most famous clubs in uh, world football. Put us in. Go on, put us in, lad. We'll, we'll, we'll no give chance. You, we'll give you a, a billion pounds. We'll sponsor you. <laughs> um, and we'll give you a trip to Epstein Island every week. Uh, you know, I, you, you could see easily see these crooked fucking UA. I mean, he can't be but worse than any black. You know, he's, I, I, suffering can't be as bad as Blatter. 
uh, was. Yeah, well, um, that's, but I mean, but if it like, was Blatter, you know this would happen. I'm telling you now. Meaning yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If Blatter was still in charge, a hundred percent, this would have already happened. But um, I can only imagine this conversation just being like, "All right, can you prove that they've got this this great popularity in Europe that you've been discussing, and that they're one of the three most famous clubs in football?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, just uh, look underneath this this piece of paper here." Uh, oh, this seems that? to be a blank uh, check. Yeah, yeah that, what's that? <laughs> that looks like a, a Harry Redknapp-esque bung. Or um, who, 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 who do you think you are, Seferin? It's Sam Allardyce offering little uh, favours. Just sat there with his pint of wine. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 as you say, as ridiculous as it sounds, I actually genuinely could see it happening just on the money side of it. If they, obviously we know that the... the the different ways that they they sport wash, they would be able to, if they suddenly come in and say, look, because there is a legitimate way in terms of where, you know, obviously you watch you over Champions League and you have like um, the tyre company that sponsors them. I can't remember who it is and fucking Qatar Airlines and all that. If they suddenly just got one of the big companies of of Saudi Arabia and said, right, we're going to sponsor you and here's two billion pounds, all you've got to do is give one of our t- teams a wild card every other every other year as part of that i think how ridiculous football is uh, on the money side of it i wouldn't be surprised to see that happen at all just sat there no there's absolutely no chance there's no chance what if we give it two billion you know what i've changed i've thought about it it's a really good idea it's, you're in it might happen make yeah. it a billion Done. Right. You can have three uh, three uh, teams in the group stages all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, see it. We'll, see, we'll see how it pans out. But I'll, I'll tell you now, I would not be surprised if that does not happen on quicker than you think it would because of the money. Nothing else. No sporting reasons. No, because they are one of the most popular teams, purely because of the corruptness of the people involved at UEFA. We'll see. Ian, it's the day of reckoning. Big card announced, eh? It's it's almost, almost the card that we want, but not quite in the right order and the fighters fighting different people. This is, of course, the fight that has been announced or the, the event that we very briefly discussed last week in that it seemed as though Eddie Hearn was saying that he had a big fight card lined up, but also Frank Warren was saying the same. So we were like, well... How can that both happen on December 23rd, which is the obviously the fight that would have taken place on that day. It would have been Usyk and Fury. That was moved on. And we'll have some news on that in, in just a short while. But yeah, so they've announced it. They're, they're calling this the Day of Reckoning. Um, I'm out on the 23rd of December in town with the lads. We have this uh, Christmas day out every year. So that absolutely is going to be the Day of Reckoning. I'm probably going to end up in a gutter somewhere. Um, it, it's, it's never a good idea when you've got Leeds at 12.30. I think we've got Arsenal, um, I don't know Arsenal playing, but Arsenal someone later in the day, might even be Arsenal Spurs, and then you've got this massive mega card. The mega card is, of course, Joshua is fighting Otto Wallen in the main event. I think technically it's a co-main event alongside Wilder and Joseph Parker. I think they're both being billed as the top fights. You've got Dubois versus Gerald Miller, and obviously AJ absolutely despises Gerald Miller. That was funny. I did big, bit, bit, big baby's back, is he? Big baby, um, yeah. He's, a big he's druggy back baby. After, um, back after his roids ban. Um, it's a good one for Dubois, is that? Because everyone will be on his side because everyone hates Gerald Miller. He is just a knob. Just a, a fucking big knob. motherfucker, though, isn't he? Yeah, and because he's on drugs. Someone who doesn't need steroids is that motherfucker. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, you've got there's... a few other 
there's, there's few others because you've got Bivol and Lyndon Arthur, uh, and that's for the WBA lightweight title. Obviously, Bivol being on a card is always good. He probably outclasses Arthur, if we're honest. Heavyweight, I think you mean, not to, just to correct you. Did said I say lightweight? lightweight. Yeah. Well, you always like to correct me, don't you? So there you go, light heavyweight. Uh, Jai um, Opataya and, and Zorro, Ellis Zorro for the IBF Cruiserweight. Am I all right in saying Cruiserweight? You don't want to correct it as like... Yeah, no, that's right. It's, it's basically yeah, a card of big boys, isn't it? For, it yeah. It is all fucking, I think, as you say, cruiser, light heavyweight is the lowest weight class, I think, on the card, isn't it? It's literally yeah. the top three weight in terms of light heavyweight, cruiserweight, and the majority of the fights heavyweight. And the point is, the fights are all big names. So like say AJ Hergovic is later down the card. Matt Mudov is later down the card. Um, but they're fighting people who you would expect them to absolutely smash through. Ironically, the closest fight that you're probably going to get in terms of odds is AJ versus Wallen, not because AJ shouldn't smash through him, but because obviously when Wallen had the fight with um, Fury, Fury, yeah, I completely lost my mind there in 2019, obviously Fury did beat him. But I think he required something like nearly 50 stitches and some plastic surgery. Uh, he opened up a really but, nasty cut, didn't yeah. he? It, it was, it, that was the one that a lot of people could, you could easily made an argument that the fight should have been stopped. Uh, yeah. And that would have been a right shock because, I mean, he's garbage. But I didn't know uh, this and I'm going to call this just because I could see how this works out. You said to me that... Um, it had been claimed that basically Wilder and AJ had signed some a three fight deal. So I think yeah. what will happen is you'll see the 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 the, 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 the top four, if we want to call it that, in terms of the the the, the two co main event fighters. I think they will swap opponents in the second matches. So that would be AJ Parker. No, because you're not going to see then, Parker AJ twice. That bit second time they fought, and it was boring as old the first. I just one. think that that's. I think, and then it's supposed to culminate, isn't it? The third, the, the third fight is is them fighting each other in terms of Wilder versus AJ. So I just think it would make some kind of sense in some ways to have it consider it almost like a little tournament like that, and just see him swap opponents because, again, if you take the, the other two out of it, who it's been announced today is definitely signed, which surprised us both. I think uh, for February in Usyk Fury. Who else is there for those two to fight when they inevitably smash through both of these guys? Big Bang Zhang, the one and only. But I don't think, I'll be honest, you're almost spot on there. I think there's been a mistranslation in what Wilder has said. So he's made out that, like you said publicly, that it's a, a three-fight deal. I don't think it's what we initially thought. I think this means Joshua fights Wallen, Parker fights Wilder, if they both come through, that's two of the fights. The third fight being the match against one another in 2024, which would make far more sense rather than going around the houses. Obviously, neither of them are getting any younger. And Wilder has also said that uh, Anthony Joshua is set to make over £50 million for the next two fights in the same way that um, Wilder is also making roughly about £50 million in his next fights. So Parker and then potentially against Joshua, which is a ludicrous amount of money. And it's, it's again, it's Saudi Arabia running spot. I mean, sadly, it is the premier destination for the majority of sporting events at the moment, isn't it? And particularly sort of combat sports. Um, you know, they, they just throw so much money out there in terms of making a spectacle. The UFC seems to be going back, back there more and more 
uh, having more. I mean, they have way more events over there each year than they do in England. And, you know, not being funny, Saudi Arabia is not exactly like a known for its raving fan base. I don't think of any particular sport, but let alone combat sports. Um, I the wish crowd is it shit as well. It annoys me. Yeah. As you say, like, yeah. think about like so, uh, crowds like, you know, genuine fans like us that fucking paid crowd. a ridiculous amount of money for what was not even a great card. Imagine they put a, a UFC card on like some of the ones we've seen over here in England. Like, I, you know, we, we've fucking parted with 300 quid each of our well earned money um, to see two good fights pretty much in terms of Edwards in, and, and Gagey Fazayev. Um, and if they put on, you know, one of these sort of super cards, like we've just seen, you know, like Madison's, all right, that's Madison Square Garden type thing. But the one thing you would say now, in particular, if there was ever a time for Wembley, it's now with two English champs. Fucking, you know, headline it with Edwards uh, and Aspinall fighting. You would have zero problem whatsoever selling out 90,000 at Wembley and they would get away with charging the ridiculous prices that we paid for uh, the O2 Arena. Imagine that would be the biggest gate by any stretch ever in MMA. If they did 90,000, 300 quid a ticket like that. And it, I'm telling you now, they'd have no problem selling that out. Not No, I don't, I don't no problem whatsoever. Don't disagree. I think you're spot on. Um the sad part of it is that the ticket prices and the revenue from the tickets, regardless of how much they bump up, and I think you'd be spot on, um, Dana would be rubbing his hands together thinking, oh, I'm going to charge 200, 300 quid for people to sit back at London Eye and have a look over the stadium to get into this one. But the amount of money that the Saudis are throwing at the promotions, not necessarily with regards to the ticket prices, just the promotions and uh, the publicity, because it's obviously part of Riyadh season where they've been investing uh, every capital winter um, since sort of 2019, I think it is, off the top of my head. So they've, they've been trying to build this up. They're continuing to try to build it up. And obviously you had Fury and Ngannou this year, and it's going to continue all the way. Their Riyadh season includes the three, sorry, the four biggest heavyweights on the planet in um, boxing in, in general. Obviously, you've got Joshua, you've got Wilder, you've got Usyk, and you've got Fury now. And inevitably, I think if there is a fight between Wilder and Joshua, you know exactly where it's going to be held. It's going to be in Saudi Arabia. It, it's not going to be at Vegas, which is where boxers had grown up wanting to fight at, uh, you know, from every part of the world. That was always the premier event to be fighting in Vegas it wouldn't usually mean that you've made it, certainly if you're the main event. Um, British fighters are no longer wanting to think of selling out Wembley, like you say, or selling out Spurs' stadium. And obviously, Andy Joshua fought there recently. It's all about trying to make money. And the age that these fighters are at, they're just going to be favouring going to the other side of the world. The fan base isn't really there. We saw what it was like with Fury and Garnu. It was absolutely dead for one of the most shocking potential fights of of ever and there was just no reaction from the crowd and that's what you're going to get in this as well and you're going to get the same in the undisputed heavyweight fight in oh was it 17th of february where literally this is history making there is going to be uh an undisputed heavyweight champion first time since um lennox lewis of course but it's going to be the first ever heavyweight who will hold all four recognized world titles to become 
an undisputed world champion. It's not like, I mean, obviously Lennox Lewis held the WBA, WBC and, and IBF. He never held the WBO along with that. And obviously there's reasons for that. The WBO wasn't ever really recognised as much by the other sanctioning bodies back at the time that he was the undisputed champion. But this is history making. And it's not going to be anywhere that has the fan base to justify that. Yeah, I mean, the only one I would say that you missed out that I would probably say that most, again, in terms of combat arenas that people grow up wanting to fight at is Madison Square Garden as well. You know, that would have to be in there. But um, yeah, I mean, like as you say, they are. it's not enough that they're ruining football. Uh, You know, our major love in terms of taking all these players and taking them over there and paying them ridiculous amounts of money. But they're now doing it to the other sports we love as well. And it fucking pisses me off. And the only thing is, is that I suppose that sometimes I try and remind myself is. And and I think this is obviously part of the reason in some ways why they're doing this now. What people have got to remember is there is an infinite, uh, uh, sorry, a finite amount of oil left on the planet. And they are, all this is oil money. This is not going to be forever. And those motherfuckers are going to be bankrupt at some point when the oil runs out uh, in however many years. And it's not that far away. I don't think that, you know, 40, 50 years, something like that. Where, what are they going to do then? Where are they going to make all their money from to be throwing out at the, to get these crazy events? So it might be short-lived for them um, for, for some point and they enjoy themselves while they can in terms of taking all these live events and all these incredible uh, sportsmen and, and, and events from more deserving places and fans that would appreciate it more, but it's not going to be forever. I mean, you look at, there's an interview back in September, and I'll send you this if you haven't seen it, but uh, there was an interview with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. His name is Mohammed bin Salman. Salman, uh, I'll probably get absolutely slandered for mispronouncing that. But they asked him, and it was his first ever interview in English, I believe, and they asked him specifically, about sport washing and what he thought of sport washing. And he literally comes out, says that he's got no shame whatsoever and states, and this is a real quote, if sport washing is going to increase my GDP by way of 1%, then I will continue doing sport washing. I don't care. I'm aiming for another 1.5%. Call it whatever you want. We're going to get that 1.5%. They've got golf, or obviously the LIV. They've got Newcastle. They're trying to take over football in general. They had uh, this year's FIFA Club World Cup, uh, the Asia Games in 2029. Now they're after boxing. UFC is probably next. It literally will not stop until something drastic happens. Like you say, where they run out of money, that's going to be a significant time in the future, or someone else challenges them. And whether the Qataris get involved here and like, hang on a minute, I'm not happy with this. We're going to start challenging. Well, they do own a stake in the UFC as well, don't they? I think it's 10% yeah. that they own uh, in the UFC that they bought off Endeavor um, when they'd completed the purchase of it. So they've got their fucking dirty little fingers in 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 everything uh, at the moment. And um, it just seems that, um, yeah, as, as you say, when you watch the reaction of the crowd, it's not like they're even remotely racist or even they bothered. They don't care. They, they absolutely say, they're literally No reaction, no um, noise. It's some of the quietest events you see in um, any leagues, that, particularly when we've talked about some of the UFC ones, when you go like, you know, England, Australia, 
some of these places, you know, that, that France, what it was like when they were, you know, whole crowds jumping and singing these fucking crazy songs that Bisping said they weren't allowed to translate because they were too, you know, and then you don't, you, you see nobody in all in their seats, sat in their garb, um, not giving a fuck and just sat there, just no reaction, no noise, no singing, no excitement on their faces. And it feels like such a waste. I am terrified if it ever does happen, and I don't think it will, but I am terrified that an Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury fight won't happen in England. And again, it's very unlikely. It depends entirely on what happens with Joshua and and Wilder, of course, and certainly depends on what happens with Usyk and Fury. Um, If Fury becomes undisputed, I'm pretty sure he's going to retire. But if he doesn't, and there's still chance for a bit more money and... It's been well documented about his his mental health struggles and how he's desperate to get the fighting camp. But I just get the feeling that if it ever does happen, it's going to be in Saudi Arabia. It's not going to be at Wembley, which it should absolutely be, because like you say, with the UFC events, it would 100% sell out uh, in minutes, if not seconds, in terms of for Wembley. But it's not going to be there. It's going to be sat in an empty, oh, sorry, not empty, a desolate, quiet stadium where people sit there I don't know if it's a respect thing. I, again, I don't profess to know about how um, that would work over there. I don't know if you're supposed to be quiet, but it's sport. It's supposed to be something that's exciting. It's supposed to be shocking, and it's supposed to be interactive. And sport without crowds, as we've seen in COVID, is significantly tarnished by that in general. And I mean, I could rant all night about this, but it's one of these things that... If that fight ever does happen, looking way ahead in the future, if that happens and it's not in England, I think I would give up on the sport of boxing entirely. Yeah, it would be, it would be criminal. You know, two English fighters like that, as you say, when they've got the ability to sell out and not make, still make a ridiculous amount of money. But it's just, it's just, it's just money talks, sadly. It's the world we live in these days. And when they're chucking 40, 50, 60 million at these guys just to, go over there. I mean, the only good thing I would say about it from a really selfish point of view is the timing is that if there is one thing that you would say on the plus side for, for, for English fans anyway, is that the time difference is not ridiculous in Saudi Arabia. I think it's like a couple of hours ahead. So they're very good for us that, you know, if they have all of these events like that, it's a respectable time, you know, when they are in, Madison Square Garden, Vegas, you know, like the UFC this weekend, um, I got up at four o'clock, um, you know, and both, I think the first fight, uh, Aspinall co-main event kicked off at about quarter past four. You know, you've got that sort of time and that takes real either dedication of waking up early or having a proper session powering through. Whereas the good, that, that, that's literally the only good thing I would say about having them in Saudi Arabia is that they are at a time that suits English fans because of the uh, the time difference. But that's really selfish thing. It's not definitely good enough reason to have them there. It's just that if you're trying to find a, a, a tiny bit of uh, good in, in what's going on from a selfish point of view, it at least means that you don't have to fucking get up at ridiculous hour in the morning to watch the fights. Regardless of that, genuinely, I would rather receive a dick phone through the post than... I would ha- happily see these fights take place in Saudi Arabia. The, genuinely, give me the dick phone of uh, Saudi Arabia boxing any day. 
Well, you, you mentioned that your, your little, uh, obviously, when this mega card is taking event is uh, on the 23rd. Obviously, no names, but is uh, your dick phone mate out with you on said night? He is indeed. Well. <laughs> I'll give a shout out to Mr. Dick Batman himself. Um, I'm, I'm sure he is. He's going to get a good laugh over here. I still can't believe that you referred to him as a a disher out (laughs) of vigilante justice. Uh, I'm telling you, he's the world's gayest Batman. (laughs) He just rubs his dick on things. Rather Rather than beating up criminals, he takes them down and rubs his dick on them. Right, so you say that and you laugh. If a robber's about to rob somewhere and he's about to smash into a storefront and someone goes, tell you what, you smash into that storm, mate, I'm going to whack my cock out and I'm going to rub it all over your face. They're not going to keep going, are they? They're going to be like, you know what? No, it's it's not worth it, that. I don't want to miss with Dick, man. Um, I'll just leave it there. Well, but... unless, uh, only after you showed me earlier, unless maybe you're Shawn Michaels, in which case you might be like, yeah, g- give it to me. And you wouldn't, I mean, you can't actually see what Ian's doing at the moment. He was essentially skiing with his mouth. Um, but again, anyone that hasn't seen the clip of Shawn Michaels, I think we're talking sort of early nineties, if if not a little bit later, he's basically walking down the aisle, the aisle, the the ramp, whatever you call it, and he stops because a fan is abusing him. He points at the fan and he makes some uh, obscene, fellatio related gestures to him, and the guy is trying to get over the barrier and fight Shawn Michaels, which I'm sure would have gone well. Um, very well done. Clip he looks like he's got really. Excellent technique, doesn't he? he, he Unbelievable he, he, form. <laughs> he, he, Unbelievable he goes, form. He goes for it. It's not just the you know the usual uh, ah you know. There, there's now a... you know why DX's slogan was "suck it" because clearly John Michaels knew exactly how to do it. So uh, perfect place to end it after a, a long five minute conversation about dicks. So uh, as always, thanks very much for listening, and we'll speak to you next week.